As we prepare to hear our scripture reading this morning, um, we once again hear from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And this was a church that he helped found. It was a church that had a lot of diversity in it, and within that, a lot of division. There were Greeks and Romans, slaves and frees, rich and poor, and they argued over all kinds of things, from who was the best preacher, to dietary laws, to spiritual gifts. And throughout the letter, Paul keeps calling the people back to unity, back to love. And last week, we heard the um, famous chapter that Paul has on love. Well, today, he basically brings them back uh, once again to the basics of their faith. And in particular, uh, he talks a lot about death and resurrection and the traditions that was handed on to him that he hands on to them. And once again, he's trying to uh, address division in the church, in particular, arguments within that church around the nature of the resurrection and particularly bodily resurrection for uh, the followers of Jesus. And so as we'll hear today, Paul makes the case for bodily resurrection, basically saying that Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of uh, humans are tied up together. And so we'll have a chance to unpack that a bit in our sermon time today. But for now, let us listen to the word of God. The scripture reading this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 26 and 51 through 58. Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, and siblings, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are saved, if you firmly believe the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain, for I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, <clears throat> how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that God raised Christ, whom God did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. 
If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. <clears throat> for since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after Christ has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, as we hear these ancient words about death, about resurrection, help us to hear them anew. Give us a word of insight, of inspiration for our lives today. We pray this in your name, O Christ. Amen. So I really wrestled with what to talk about this morning, with all that's packed in here, whether to talk about death or life or bodies or resurrection or all of the above, because they're all woven in here. And in a time in our world when we are just so conscious of death, when we are hearing death toll numbers every day, when some of us are fearing for our own lives and the lives of loved ones, or when um, we are just aware of our own mortality in new ways, all of these things are relevant. But this is also a really hard topic, and it's a personal one because we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know about death until we get there. We don't know about resurrection until we get here. And so when we talk about things like this, we are moving away from facts and um, into faith, away from proof and into promise. So basically what I thought 
we would do today is that I'll just simply lay out what Paul says and invite us to chew on it, knowing that there, there aren't any right or wrong answers, but rather give us a chance to wonder together and to think about what death and resurrection mean for us today. Um, in the past, uh, every year I do an instant sermon where we take questions from people in the congregation, and almost every year we get a question about um, heaven or death or afterlife. And I was looking back at some that we've gotten in recent years, and um, they include things like, one, uh, what, ha- what do you think happens when we die? Two, are people reunited with their loved ones when they have died, uh, when they go to heaven? And this third one from a child, if you died of a sickness, do you still have the sickness in heaven? And these are great and profound questions. And uh, while I don't have the answers, I'll at least try to address them as we talk about death and resurrection today. As we begin looking at Paul, um, it helps remember that he's trying to bring the Corinthians back to the basics. I mean, last week he was talking about love and trying to bring this divided church back to the core uh, foundational ethic of love. And today, as he closes out his letter to them, he brings them back to what he thinks is the most fundamental claim of our faith, that Jesus died and rose again. And so for Paul, resurrection is central. And for Christians, it really is the unique claim of our faith that Jesus died a bodily death, um, that Jesus was in fact resurrected, that he came back to life in some kind of bodily form. Uh, This is what's witnessed to in the scriptures, that the early disciples, they encountered the risen Christ. They encountered the presence of Jesus after his death. In other words, um, when he died, his soul didn't just disperse off into the cosmos, but people experienced him and his presence in very real and concrete ways. And so those early disciples, which Paul reiterates today, and we know these stories, the early disciples, they claim to see him, to hear him, uh, to talk to him, to eat with him. Um, When he appears in the upper room to the disciples and there's doubting Thomas, he shows them holes in his hand and holes in his side. Like it's, it's the bodily Jesus. But he was also transformed in some way. He could appear through doors. He could disappear in a moment's notice. He showed up as a gardener to Mary, as a stranger to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It was Jesus, but it was Jesus transformed. For Paul, um, resurrection wasn't a metaphor. It was real, and it mattered. And here's part of the reason why I think it did. Where he was preaching in in Corinth. The prevailing Greek and Roman understanding was that human beings were made up of two parts. You had um, the spirit and you had the flesh or the body. And the spirit was eternal. The flesh was temporal. The spirit was almost always privileged uh, more than the body. And even in the Greek literature of the time, uh, the body was often described as a prison, as something that held the spirit back, uh, that the body limited the power of the spirit. And the language was that you had a body. Well, Paul is coming from a Jewish understanding, which was a holistic understanding of a human being and different from the Greek model. Instead of saying that humans had a body, he would say that humans are a body. 
right? That we are body, soul, spirit, mind, and we're all wrapped into one. Those aren't divisible. Um, So if we think about scripture, when God made Adam in the story of Genesis, it was mud and soil and matter, and God breathed into that and created humankind. And it was good. And God created humankind to flourish. And so throughout scripture, if we look, flesh is affirmed. I mean, we hear about one th- in Psalm 139, right, that we are knit together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God affirms all kinds of bodily endeavors in scriptures, eating, drinking, caring for each other. The Song of Songs is a book devoted to bodily erotic love. I mean, it seems like God loves bodies. And then we have the story of Jesus. We have the story of uh, the incarnation, which is good. I mean, it's the enfleshment, the embodiment of God, that God uh, took on flesh, that Jesus was a body. And so for Paul, it makes sense that in his tradition and our tradition where creation values the body, where incarnation values the body, that resurrection would also value the body. And that because Christ is uh, resurrected with a body, that we too would be resurrected in some kind of bodily form. And so what's really interesting about uh, this is that um, Paul in the parts that we didn't read in the reading this morning, we skipped a little section. In that section, he uses the analogy of a plant, a seed to a plant, to say that, um, that, that death and resurrection is like a seed in a plant. So when we die, our body is like that seed that is planted. But in the resurrection, um, we will be like the plant, right? So that we'll still be the, the we'll have the same essence as the seed, but we'll be flourishing in a new and transformed and uh, more life-giving way. Um, And I have to say that even though I think our society is more influenced in many ways by that Greek understanding of like the spirit is eternal and the body is temporal, um, I, I love this idea of Paul because... I love this idea of preserving the particularity of who we are and the bodies of who we are. Because as I think about my own life, um, I think about how so much of who I am is because of the body that I have, that that so much of who I've become is because of um, my gender or my height or the color of my skin or my experience of the world and that there's something particular about who I am that is based on my body that if that if I was just atoms off in a cosmos that it wouldn't be um, the same thing and so when I think about like a question of are we reunited with loved ones I think when I had this in an instant sermon I said yeah I sure hope so right because I want to be able to recognize the people that I love, right? I want to, in some way, they're going to have to be identifiable to me. Um, And maybe it's not in exactly the same body, but it's in a way that I will recognize. I think about this for um, my grandmother, whose laugh I want to hear again. Or I think about um, our former member at church, Bill Davis, right? Who just had this wonderful sense of humor. And in part, it was because of how he was embodied in the world. And so... um, 
what I what I love about how Paul spells this out is that the body is transformed and the particularities are still there. But those things that maybe have diminished our, our living, diseases, injustices, pain, suffering, um, those are gone. And he talks about this when he talks about um, Christ coming back. And, and in his mindset, um, uh, Christ died and was resurrected and then would be coming back. And when he comes back is when everyone is, is resurrected. But when he comes back is when death is made no more. And not only death but all the powers and principalities, anything that would have diminished life, which includes diseases, illness, and any injustice that has prevented our fullest flourishing. And so the way Paul says it is like those things are gone um, and, and we can become most fully who God has called us to be. And so in a question like if, if someone is sick in this earth, will they have the same sickness in heaven? I I want to say no, right? That the pain and suffering that is caused by illness or the pain or suffering that's um, that has been caused by injustice is not there. But the things that grew out of that pain of injustice, things like courage or empathy or resilience, those things may be preserved. While at the same time, the person has an opportunity to flourish and become the fullest uh, that they were called to be. Basically, what Paul is saying is that the resurrection of Christ and creation is tied up together. And, and that because we claim that, that Jesus was raised in a body, we can make that claim for ourselves. That, that one day all will be made well. One day we, are, we will be holistically well, mind, body, spirit. That creation will be healed and injustice will end and pain will end. And, and we will all have a chance to flourish. And he makes that argument to say that if we believe that, then it impacts how we live now. And for Paul, this was important because in Corinth, for those who minimize the role of the body, it didn't matter as much how they live because the body was temporal and it didn't really matter how you treated your body. It didn't matter how you treated other people's bodies. But Paul makes the case that no, our bodies are really important and that the claim of the resurrection is that um, we don't have to be uh, as, af as afraid of death as we might otherwise be. Um, we can trust that there is um, wholeness and fullness uh, on the other side of death. And this is not to say that death isn't real or that death doesn't hurt or that death um, doesn't move us to our knees. But what he's trying to say is in the end that the power of death does not win and that there is more for us. And so for Paul, this is a word of hope. I mean, this is a word of hope he's giving to a divided church to remember that their lives matter to God, that their bodies matter to God, that they are called to live in a way that cares for their bodies and, and those of others, and that they can trust the goodness of God. And that they continue to work for and love and support and care for each other. Because they know that in the end, God's love and God's hope and God's promise of new life wins. So I'm so curious to know what you all think. Uh, to hear what you think about this. To see what ideas of this resonate with you. What challenges you. What, what do you think is heresy in this? 
Um, what I take from it is as Paul closes out this letter and, and as we close out the Easter season and prepare to move into the season of Pentecost is that that resurrection, it wasn't just a one and done thing with Jesus. That um, for Paul and, and perhaps for us, that it continues to be a motivator in life, that we seek transformation and we seek new life in the world around us, in the bodies of the people around us. Um, that we care for each other and seek unity with each other. But we also hope in the promise of the resurrection that is to come. And that one day, all of us will be held in God's love and care, in body, in spirit, in soul, and in mind. So for now, as Paul said last week, uh, we see only in the mirror dimly. But one day we will see face to face. Now we only see in part, but one day the complete will come. And so in the meantime, may God abide with us, giving us hope, giving us promise, and giving us new life. Amen.